0: i, I got to tell you, I've been praying about this morning's service um, big time. And, uh, and just I, I, I tell you honestly, and that's not out of the ordinary. It's not that I don't pray for the services on Sunday morning and pray for you guys and, and all that. But just this week has been different. And uh, I was at a conference this week and it was really challenged in, in a few ways. But um, kind of through that, I just really believed that God was going to do something significant today and uh, and really believe that this passage that we're, we're talking about and this message that we're going to go through today uh, is going to be significant for some of you and, and hopefully for all of you. But I really I really do believe that there are some of you that God is going to be speaking to today. And my prayer has been for you that you would respond. Uh, man, as, as you hear God speaking, that you would respond today. And, and I'm so excited uh, about this passage. I'm so excited what God has done in my heart and in my life. And really, that's really what today is about everything that God has done for me and 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 uh and so um it's also what God wants to do for all of you I, I mean that's what his desire is for you as well and so I'm really excited about this morning's passage uh and if you'll turn in Acts chapter 3 we're going through a series uh right now through the book of Acts and and uh and just working our way through it and it's been it's been so good for me I hope it's I hope it's been good for you and we'll continue to be that. But in Acts chapter 3, um, we're going to look at verses 11 through 21. And, and the, reason, um, the reason I've been praying so much about this morning's passage and this morning's sermon is, uh, I really want you to know, honestly, that what we're talking about today is the most important thing that you can ever know. The most important thing that you will ever hear and that has nothing to do with the fact that I am giving this sermon it has absolutely nothing to do with it. OK, I'm just saying because I'm preaching this sermon. OK, it, it's simply this. This is what God tells us about how we can be forgiven and how we can have eternal life It's the most important thing we could ever know. Because it doesn't matter what happens here, it doesn't matter what we gain here, it doesn't matter what we do here, it doesn't matter what we accomplish here, it doesn't matter the fame that we get here, it doesn't matter the name that we're given here. When it's all over, it's going to come down to one thing. Where am I going to spend eternity? What happens next? What happens now? And so the most important thing that we can know is the answer to that question. And so in Acts chapter three, uh, starting with verse 11, coming right off of what happened, uh, what we talked about last week. But in verse 11, it says, uh, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's astounded. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel. Why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac And the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when you decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. long ago let me pray father thank you so much for your word thank you so much for your goodness thank you so much that you are the highest and the greatest there is no one and nothing that compares to you god i pray just like your word says that you would open our eyes today help us to see wonderful things from your word and just like your word says god that you would shine light In our hearts that we would see the light of the knowledge of the glory of you in the face of jesus christ that we would see and that we would believe be glorified god i pray in this time speak move change us search our hearts and know if there's any wickedness in us convict us of our sin Make us people who believe and live for the glory of God. Trusting Christ is the only way to get to heaven. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Peter, uh, in verse 11, it says, uh, This guy hung to, or clung to Peter and John, and, and all these people are gathered around. And in verse 12, Peter addresses all these people, and he says, why do you wonder at this? Now, all these people are astounded, okay? And it says that in verse 11. The people are amazed. And why are they amazed? Why are they astounded? What just happened? We talked about it last week. Just yell it out. Go for it. Guy's healed, okay? There's a guy that's been crippled from birth, and he's been brought out day after day after day after day after day. And and Peter and John come along, and he's healed. He's asking them for money and, and they reach out their hand and say, we don't have silver. We don't have gold, but but take our hand. What we do have, we give to you rise in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. And the guy stands up and walk. I don't know about you, but I'd be part of the crowd like I would be part of the crowd. That's just clinging to Peter and John and just astounded by what has happened, because what just happened is God met people. <laughs> I mean, what just happened is the impossible. What just happened is the not ordinary thing i don't know about you but i've never seen a crippled guy just stand up and walk because someone said in the name of jesus christ stand up and walk i've never seen it happen i've never seen someone just walk up to someone and say we're going to give you what we have and that's jesus christ get up and walk around i haven't seen that god met these people right there physically and healed this guy and the people are astounded they're amazed they're wandering and, 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 and Peter knowing this and seeing the crowd addresses the crowd because what they don't want the people to think is, that's what he says, we don't want you to think we're doing this. It's not us. We didn't do this. We can't do this. It's impossible for us to do this. Only God can do this. And so he addresses the crowd. And in verse 12, it says, um, he says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk it's amazing like immediately these people as they see the amazing work that god did did immediately they want to give credit to peter and john look what these people did look what these people did and immediately peter says no 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 no. it's not us and and in fact why are you amazed why are you so amazed why are you so surprised why are you so astonished? If God is God, then why are we amazed when he does incredible things? If God is the God of the universe who created everything, then why are we surprised? Why are you surprised that this guy got off the ground and walked around? It's God. We talked just two weeks ago about um, from Isaiah 40. I talked about God and how big God is and how in, in Isaiah chapter 40, one of the things it says is that he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and his inhabitants are like grasshoppers. And what Peter is saying is if that is God, if God is the God who sits enthroned above the earth and we're just like grasshoppers, why are we so amazed when he does something like this? We should be amazed by him. We should just be amazed that we exist. We should be amazed that he is there. We should be amazed at his creation. That God is so huge and so big. And, and yet we are amazed when we encounter God. We are amazed when we, we see him do something. We are amazed at his work. And, and here's where these people are. And so Peter says, why do you wonder? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we, made, we didn't make him walk? Verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus. What he's doing is putting all of the attention, all of the focus on God. It's not us, guys. It's not us. It's not about us. It's not about Peter. It's not about John. It's not about us. It's nothing we could do. The God. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God that created the universe, the God that spoke it into existence, the God that speaking to these people, the God that brought the Israelites out of Egypt and parted the Red Sea and and they walked through the same God, the same God that gave you his law, that gave you the commandments, that that promised all of these things, that same God glorified his servant jesus now he's changing gears and i love this okay because peter has the people's attention and they're in they're in wonder they're amazed at at what has just happened and so he starts to change gears and he starts to go down a path of teaching them and telling them the most important thing that they can take away from this encounter with god the most important thing that they can take away is not going and telling their relatives not going and telling their 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 friends man you missed it at the temple today I mean, you really missed it. You should have gotten up for church today because this guy got up off the ground and walked around. That's a big deal, and they're going to probably go tell, but that's not the biggest deal. And so Peter takes this turn and and starts to tell them, this is what you got to know. This is not us. This is God, and this is normal. We shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be wondering at this. God is all-powerful. And so it says, um, as he goes on, he says, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus. Now, remember, I want you to remember that all of these people that are gathered here, all these many people are gathered here. Most of them had probably seen, probably heard Jesus while he was alive. They would probably seen him do miracles. They would probably heard him teach. If they hadn't seen it with their own eyes, heard it with their own ears, certainly they had family or friends that had encountered christ physically that had seen him that had followed him that had gone to where he was at that had brought sick people to him that had brought crippled people to him and seen jesus close up and heard him teach close up and so he's just reminding them of something really that they already know remember earlier in in acts he said um, he was talking about about christ and all of the works that he had done and, and he said you know this you, you saw it. You know that this took place through Christ. And so he's reminding them again of all the things that Christ did. And in fact, in, in it, he says that God, the God of the universe, glorified his son, Jesus. Now, to glorify, um, it means to speak of something as being unusually priceless. It's praising it. It's, it's lifting it up. It's, it's, it's putting um, value, deserved value To what you're speaking of to what you're bringing glory to and 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 so to praise or to glorify something um, that something is to be of exceptional value that's Jesus exceptional value it has the implications of being particularly praiseworthy. That's the word that, that's used here from the, the original language Greek that's that's translated glorify. It, it it means something that's has the implication of being particularly praiseworthy. That's Jesus, deserving of all praise, of all honor, of all glory, of all attention, is something that, that is wonderful. I love that when I'm looking at the at the definitions in in the Greek and how this word can be translated. And one of it is to be wonderful. God made his servant, Jesus, wonderful That's Christ. That's Jesus. And so Peter's saying, listen, the God of the universe, he he glorified. He he lifted up. He he gave value to he made wonderful his servant, Jesus, his son, Jesus Christ. And it goes on in the passage in in verse uh, 14, excuse me, still in verse 13. Glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. Man, I love I love Peter, Okay, because he is certainly not afraid to offend people. Uh, These are probably a lot of people who were in the crowd when the crowd started yelling, crucify him crucify him crucify him and they're also the same people that happen to see jesus do miracles they happen to hear what jesus taught and the fact that he said i am the son of god i am the son of man i am um, even simply that i am and 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 proclaiming to people i am the one that was announced to come i am god made flesh i'm everything you need for life for eternity I'm the living water, and if you drink from me, you'll never thirst again. These are the same people who heard things like that and then still said, crucify him, crucify him. And here they are at this moment of just amazement at what has happened because God has encountered them and met with them and healed this person. And Peter doesn't just say, hey, guys, let's just sing. No, he says, Jesus Christ, who God glorified, You killed, you delivered him over because he wants them to know. He he wants them to know because he knows it is most important that people realize what they're coming from. It's important that we know that we are sinners. There's no one sitting in this place that's not a sinner, not one person. And that's exactly what Peter's addressing is you're at fault. It's not just the people that drove the nails through Jesus' hands and feet. It's you, you're at fault, and the same thing could be said of me. Jesus died for our sins, we're going to talk about that. If he died for our sins, then my sin is involved in the reason for Jesus' death. And so Peter, if I were standing in front of Peter, he would say the same thing to me. You delivered Christ over to be crucified. It's your fault, you're the reason that he had to die. And so he says, whom you delivered over now jesus had lived a perfect life and these people had seen it he was made um he was god made flesh and he was good he was wonderful and 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 uh, and all these things and in spite of all that and all that he had done to prove it, these people and, and that's what it's saying in verse 13 handed him over to Pilate to be tried to be to be beaten to be uh crucified to be tortured uh in the midst of all that And so it says, in the midst of of God glorifying, in the midst of God making Christ wonderful, in the midst of all the things that he did, you still handed him over. And then he goes on. It says, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. He just continues to jab. He just continues to to show the guilt. See, Pilate, Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. When, when Jesus was on trial before Pilate, Pilate examined him and found him completely innocent and, and, and came out and said, I don't find any fault with this man, and so I'm going to release him to you. I'll punish him, but then I'll release him. And what do the people say? Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. And so even in spite of Pilate examining him and saying this guy is in it, he's not deserving of death, Peter says, you still denied him. You still chose someone else. And that's what he says in this next phrase. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Pilate wanted to release Jesus. The people said no. And they denied God. And instead they asked for Barabbas. Barabbas was the guy that they released instead of Jesus. Now, Barabbas was a murderer. He's an evil, evil, evil man. And and because of the hardness of their hearts, because they just wouldn't accept that Jesus Christ was the son of God. They said, no, no, we want the murderer. We want the evil. We want the bad. And we want you to crucify Jesus. We want you to kill Jesus. Now, we think of that. I think of that. I, I I try to put myself into that picture. What would I do? If I'm in that crowd, what would I say? What would I do? Here's Jesus Christ who I've seen, who I've experienced what he's done. I've heard what he said. I've seen these things. And yet, would I call out with the crowd and say, Crucify him? Give us Barabbas. Give us the murderer. Bring him. Let him be a part of us. We're going to choose the evil. We're going to choose the murderer. Now, you kill Christ. What would I choose? I have to be careful when I answer because it's easy for us to read that and say well that was a stupid decision why would they do that i would have chosen christ because he was innocent i wouldn't choose for the murderer to come out i wouldn't ask for him to come out we have to be careful you have to be careful when you think through that because what do we do every single day every single week every we choose the evil over christ whenever we choose sin whenever we see something and we treasure it more than christ we do the exact same thing we do the exact same thing there in front of us is sin and there in front of us is christ and for us to say christ you are not to be treasured as much as this sin that's what we're saying when we choose sin you are not to be treasured as much as the sin we're just as guilty as every single person that chose barabbas over christ just as guilty And so what I want us to do as we talk through this passage, I want us to be careful. I don't want us to to kind of be observers. I want to make sure we're participants. I want to make sure that we realize that Christ didn't just die because people called for him to die instead of a murderer. He died because all of us choose the evil over Christ. Because all of us choose the bad over Christ. All of us choose. Sin instead of obey all of us. And so here these people they're they're calling out, and he and and Peter's calling them out. He says, You, you denied the holy and righteous one. You denied God, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Now I want you to listen to verse 15. He says, You killed the author of life. If you struggle or, or have any doubts that anywhere in Scripture that it says that Jesus really is God here's a really good place to look because what peter they didn't they killed jesus right and what peter says is you killed the author of life the author of life is the god who was there before time began and spoke it into existence jesus christ you killed the author of life you killed not just a good man Not just someone who came and did good deeds, not just someone who came and washed people's feet and and did good things and treated people really good. And even the sinners, he treated the sinners really good and the people just didn't like that. And so they killed him. No, Peter says, you didn't just kill a good man. You killed God. For hundreds and hundreds of years, it was promised that the Messiah was going to come and he was going to set up his kingdom. He was going to take away the sin of the world. For hundreds and hundreds of years. And he came in the name of Jesus Christ. And he lived. And we. We as sinners. Couldn't handle it. We couldn't take it. And so we chose sin. And Christ was killed. It goes on and it says. uh, At the end of verse 15. You killed the author of life. Whom God raised from the dead. You didn't stay dead bible teaches that that three days later he died on friday and on sunday he rose again god raised him from the dead and that's what peter's saying here god raised him from the dead he couldn't stay dead he's the son of god he couldn't stay dead there was a purpose in him dying there was a reason for him coming and dying it was not a surprise it wasn't that jesus came and lived this life and what's happening what's what's happening god why am i dying it's not that at all There was a purpose in him living and there was a purpose in him dying. And because of that, God raised him from the dead. And I love this. Peter says to this, we are all witnesses. Don't doubt it. We saw it. We walked with this guy. We followed this guy. We gave our lives for this guy. We gave our careers for this guy. We followed this guy everywhere he went. We believed in him as the son of God and you killed him. But he did not stay dead, and we saw it with our own eyes. See, the Gospels talk about how Jesus did die. He was suffered, and he died. He was beaten and and persecuted, and he was killed. But it says that on Sunday, God raised him from the dead, and he didn't just disappear. He met with the disciples. He talked to the disciples. and, And in 1 Corinthians 15, in fact, it says that he met with over 500 different people showed himself, appeared to those people. And loving love in the Gospels because we're doubting people, right? We have a hard time believing things like this. And, and, and so in the Gospels, it talks about how Jesus appeared to them, and he said, touch me, touch my scars, touch my hands, touch my body, know that I'm real. And he took food, and he ate it in front of them so that they would know. Ghosts don't eat. Have you ever saw Ghostbusters and that one scene in the big ballroom, and the that ghost... Over the table takes the drink or whatever he takes, I don't remember now, and drinks, it goes right through him, right? That's what happens to ghosts. I don't know if you knew that. You should have learned from the movie, right? But Jesus, to show that he wasn't a spirit, he was body, He was resurrected physically from the dead. He takes food and he eats it in front of him and says, "Look, touch, feel. See that I am alive." And that's what Peter is reminding them. We're witnesses. We know that God raised Christ from the dead. And in verse 16, he kind of finishes finishes his whole uh, phrase that he started up in verse 12. Why do you wonder at this? Or Why do you stare at us? God talks about Christ. And then in verse 16, he says, in his name, Jesus' name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. He's just saying, look, it wasn't us. It's nothing we could do. God, the God of the universe, who gave his son, glorified his son, and and you killed him, but God raised him from the dead. By faith in Jesus' name, his son's name, this man has been made whole. This man has been made healthy. This man has been made well. It's not us. It's God. It's God. Now, I can imagine because... It's not hard to imagine because I know what I would feel like in the same circumstance. But we know what the the people felt like uh, in, in chapter um, chapter 2 where, where the same situation, or chapter 1 where the same situation happens. Chapter 1 or chapter 2? Chapter 2, thank you. Uh, in chapter 2 where the same circumstance happens and Peter preaches to these people and, and they're cut to the heart, it says. And so these people with conviction are hearing that they are the reason that Christ had to die. And in fact... They were used to kill Christ. And so Peter goes on and he says, Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. You didn't know, you didn't realize that he really was the Son of God, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. What he's saying is, For hundreds of years, you have heard that the Messiah was coming. It was also told through the prophet Isaiah that he was going to suffer and he was going to die. And God has fulfilled everything that he's promised over the last hundreds of years. God has fulfilled it through Jesus Christ. But what I love in verse 17 is, it says, Brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. Okay. Now we can look at that and say, well, they were ignorant. And so they were innocent. They didn't know that it was Christ. They didn't know anything about that. They didn't realize that they were really killing God. And so certainly they're innocent, right? Certainly God will just let them go. God will just forgive them. God will just excuse it. God will just let it go and nothing needs to happen because even Peter says, and this is scripture, they were innocent. They were ignorant, I should say. They were ignorant. They didn't know what they were doing. And so shouldn't a loving God just let it go they didn't know what they were doing they didn't know the truth but peter doesn't say you were ignorant and therefore it's okay peter doesn't say you were ignorant and so your sins are not held against you he doesn't say that he says you're ignorant and you need help you're ignorant and you need something that's going to forgive you of these sins And in verse 19, one of my favorite verses, he says in verse 19, he says, repent, therefore, because you're guilty. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And then he send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for rest for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. i want to um spend some time we're going to go back to this verse but i want to spend some time talking about everything that peter's talking about here and here's the thing we hear messages about what happened to christ we know he died we know he rose again i know jesus died i know he rose again you pretty much go just about anywhere and ask someone hey tell me what happened to jesus pretty much anyone in america most people would probably tell you well Supposedly he died and he rose again. Supposedly they know the stories that are around Christ, and especially those of us in the church, we hear this, we hear this, we hear this, we hear this. But what happens is we don't really listen to it. And here's what I want: is we're going to talk through this, and we're going to talk about what did it mean, and why did Jesus die, and what did it mean for Christ to rise again. And I really want you, you, each of you, to to really give yourself to this message. Not to me, but really give yourself and your heart to this message. Because what happens is people start talking about this in the church. And this is something I've heard before. This is something I know. I can tell you about this myself. And we really haven't. We've embraced the truth about Christ and all that he went through and all that he did on our behalf. But sometimes we have not let it embrace us. We have not let it capture us. We have not been changed really changed by the fact that christ endured all of these things on our behalf and so really I'm, I'm praying for you that through this time we don't just write this off as we talk about all that christ did all that god did to christ for us that we engage and we get it and that god opens our eyes and and, and we understand for the first time maybe some of you for the first time some of you may have never really even heard what christ has done for you Some of you may have never really embraced it to the point of saying, man, if God did that, he deserves every single part of me. But that's what he calls for, and that's why he did it. He didn't do it so it would just be another thing that we would know about. He did it so that we would give everything to him. And so I want to talk about why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus die? You know, if Peter is so bold to talk to these people and say, you killed Christ, what is the significance of that? What's the significance of the fact that Jesus really did die? And here here's a couple of things I want to talk through. First of all, is this. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sin for us. And that's important. The for us is important. He died to pay the penalty for our sin for us because even those of us who say we believe in Jesus Christ, we follow Jesus Christ, we get it into our heads that we can do something to pay for our sins. We can do something to to please God and so that God will be okay with the fact that I sinned. But what the Bible teaches is Jesus died to pay for our sins for us because we could not pay for them ourselves. It's impossible. We could not do enough. We could not be good enough to earn the right to stand before God forgiven. We couldn't do it. We couldn't earn God's forgiveness. And So Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sin for us. The Bible says we're all sinners. And for God to be just, for God to be just, he has to punish sin. If I'm a sinner, if you're a sin, and God is a holy, just God, he has to punish us. He has to. He's not just and he's not holy if he doesn't punish people who are sinners. He's just not. He has to punish the sin. And so I know, I know we want to say and and, and people often say if there's if God is such a loving God, then he's going to let me in. If God's such a loving God, he's just going to excuse what I did. If he's such a loving God, he's just going to let me go to heaven but that's not at all what the Bible teaches because the Bible teaches that God's not only completely loving, he's absolutely completely holy and he's absolutely completely just and just judges and just God's don't just let sin go free. It has to be punished. If you go to court and you murdered somebody, it doesn't matter what you say to the judge. If he's a good judge, if he's a just judge and you go up to him and say, man, man, i've heard a lot about you and i hear that you're a really good judge and because you're a good judge because you're a loving judge i know you're gonna let me go free on this one you know what he's gonna say i am a good judge and i am a loving judge and so i'm not gonna let you go free i am gonna punish you well god is way more perfect way more holy way more just than any human judge and he can't. He cannot. If he's a perfect God, he cannot let sin just go free. And so it has to be punished. And so, how does that happen? Romans three twenty three through twenty six. Um, we're going to look at that for a few minutes and, and kind of wrapping up our service. But Romans three twenty three through twenty six really does give us the answer of, of why Jesus died. And starting in verse 23 of Romans chapter 3, it says, it says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's exactly what we've been saying. There is not a single person in this room right now or anywhere in the world that can say, I don't sin. There's no one that can do that. If we are honest, if we are just being truthful, then we have to admit, man, I sin i do things that god said don't do i do things that offend him i do things that break his commandments i sin i do wrong stuff every single day whether i'm a pastor whether i'm a a banker whether i'm a driver whether i'm a stay-at-home mom whatever it is i sin and i do it all the time and that's what the bible says we are all sinners and no exceptions It's not that you're worse off than this person over here. This person is way worse of a sinner than this person. If you're a sinner, you're a sinner. And if you're a person, you're a sinner. And so you are guilty before God. And so in verse 23, it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's this idea that we can't put in our heads that by our own merit or something we could do that we can earn a right or attain to a level where we would be It would be good for us to stand before God the way we are. The Bible says, no way. God is so holy. He's so glorious that we cannot, cannot do anything to be good enough to stand in his presence. We can't do it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift are justified that word justified means to be made right or restored it's it's as if if i did go before a judge and and i was being tried for murder but something happened where uh it was found out or my 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 um my record that's the word i'm thinking of my record was wiped clean something happened where my my record was just completely wiped clean where I'm restored or I'm made right. And it says that all of us are sinners. We've all sinned. We fall short of the glory of God. We are justified. We are made right. We're restored by his grace as a gift. It is a wonderful thing to know that God is perfectly holy and God is perfectly just and he's perfectly loving, but he is perfectly full of grace and what it says is that as a gift, he gave his son to justify us, to make us right, to restore us to a clean slate. In fact, it goes on in verse um, 24, it says, And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Through the redemption, that, that word redemption means to be bought out, to be redeemed is to be to be bought out of, a, of one thing into another. And so when Christ redeems us, he buys us out. He takes us out of the condition that we're in and puts us into another condition, which is a justified, right, restored condition. We're paid for is what what verse 24 is saying about Christ. Christ paid for us. And it goes on and it says in verse 25, I love this, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. That word propitiation means place of forgiveness. Place of forgiveness. Jesus Christ is the place of forgiveness. We're all sinners, but we can find these things. Redemption, justification, a place where we're made right, and a place of forgiveness in one place. Christ. Jesus Christ. And in verse 26... Excuse me, verse 25. He was put forward as a propitiation by his blood. He's the way of forgiveness because of his blood that was shed for us to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith. In Jesus Christ at the end of verse 24, it says, or in the end of verse 25, it says he put Christ forward as a propitiation. He put Christ forward as the place of forgiveness by his blood to be received by faith. Romans 10, verse nine, just a few pages later in your Bible. Romans 10, verse nine says this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's faith. okay? that's believing and confessing with your mouth. Jesus is Lord. Now, that's way more than praying a prayer. If someone is the Lord of my life, if someone is my Lord, that means they're my master. And that means I'm submitting to them and doing whatever they say, whenever they say, however they say, in what way that they say. I'll do it because they're my master and I'm submitting to them. And so he says, if you if you confess with your mouth that Jesus, you're my Lord, I believe what you did and you're my Lord, and you believe in your heart that he didn't stay dead, God raised him from the dead, that you'll be forgiven. Jesus Christ is the place of forgiveness for us. And here's here's the important thing, because I said before that if God is completely just, that's what the end of this passage we looked at in Romans 3. If God is completely just, he has to punish sin, right? God doesn't just look over your sin. He doesn't just look over my sin. And every single sin that we commit will be judged, period. But when it says it says that we when we put our faith and we put our hope, we put our trust in Jesus Christ as the place of forgiveness. Then when he was punished, he was punished for our sins. He was punished. He was he died for our sins for us. But guys, I don't know how many times you've heard that. I don't know how many times you listen to that. I hope that gets you. Because when it does, when it does, when I, when I realize that Christ paid for my sins and was the place of forgiveness for me, it changes everything. Because I stop trying to be as good as possible so that I can earn my way to heaven. And I realize, Jesus Christ, you did everything for me, everything that I would ever need to receive forgiveness, and therefore i have throwing my life on you. I'm giving my life to you. It's not mine anymore, it's yours. And so any goodness that I do, any righteousness that I do, is because of you, and it's for you. It's not for me, it's for you. I'm going to live for the glory of God. I'm going to do everything I do for the glory of God, because Jesus, you reign and you died you were perfect and you died so that i could have forgiveness second thing is is this jesus rose from the dead to conquer death for us jesus died to pay the penalty of our sins for us and he rose from the dead to conquer death for us Man, the hope and the certainty that we have by jesus rising from the dead is this when we die forgiven we will live again forgiven And in the presence of God it's a beautiful picture. When when you think and when it talks about Christ taking the penalty of sin on himself, when Christ died, all of the sins that we committed were put on him. He was punished for those sins. When it talks about that, it also talks about this. When we believe and trust him, all of the righteousness that was his, all of the perfection, all of the good that was him is placed on us instead. So that when we stand before God, when we stand before God, having trusted in Christ, he says you're forgiven. And not just that, I see you as my son, Jesus Christ. I see you as clean as him. I see you as perfect as him. I see you as forgiven and righteous and holy as him. That's amazing. That's amazing. Verse 19 of, of Acts chapter 3 says this, repent therefore in return in order that times or that, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Man, I love that. And here's the thing that, that, that Peter's calling us, not just these people, to do. Number one is to repent. Man, the first thing we do if, we, if, we're, if we're wanting forgiveness from Christ is, is to repent. And to turn from the sins that we've been doing, turn from the things that we've been doing to offend God, and to embrace Christ to embrace the fact that he paid for those sins already and to trust him, believe in him, repent and turn towards God. That's what Peter's saying, repent and turn again to God so that your sins may be blotted out. Now, I don't know about you, but if my sins were all listed on like a dry erase board, that'd be overwhelming. If my sins in the past month, we're listed on a dry erase board i would just be overwhelmed right here in front of you just overwhelmed but what it says is when we when we trust god and when we repent from our sins and when we believe and we confess with our mouth that he's the lord of everything we believe in our heart that he died for our sins and that god raised him from the dead that that dry erase board is just wiped completely clean they're gone I don't have to worry about him anymore. I don't have to fret over it anymore. I don't have to be afraid to stand before God because Jesus was already punished for my sins. And it says he wipes the entire slate clean. I don't know about you, but that's the thing that I need most in my life. There is nothing I need more than that. Nothing. My biggest enemy is sin. My, the one thing that will defeat me is sin. It's not Satan. It's not evil. It's sin. The things that I have done to offend God. And the only way that I can be forgiven is through Jesus Christ. And so it says repent and turn. And what's going to happen? He's going to blot your sins away. And times of refreshing will come from the Lord. It goes on and talks about in in that passage in Acts 3 where where when the appointed time has come, Christ is, is in heaven with God. And when the appointed time has come, he's going to return. And forever, ever, and ever, and ever, and ever to be with him, forgiven in heaven forever.